The reading for this morning is from uh, the Gospel of Acts, chapter 13. Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a member of the court of Herod the ruler, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. In Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet and had never walked, for he had been crippled from birth. He listened to Paul as he was speaking, and Paul, looking at him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And the man sprang up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Laconian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates. He and the crowds wanted to offer sacrifice. When the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd, shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We are mortals just like you, and we bring you good news, that you should turn from these worthless things to the living God, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations he allowed all the nations to follow their own ways, yet he has not left himself without a witness in doing good, giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons and filling you with food and your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the crowds from offering sacrifice to them. The word of our Lord. Good morning. Happy Mother's Day. Good morning. morning. This is kind of what I thought. Does it feel sleepy? Do you feel sleepy? You look sleepy. Maybe it's just me. I feel sleepy. How about, can you just stand up for just a second? I I need to make sure that you're all awake because the sermon's not that good. So I need you to... Can you maybe just do a little of this for just a second? Just kind of reach up, stretch, wake yourself up. You know, remember the delicious breakfast you had or that you're going to. Uh, All right, good enough. Sit down. That's enough. That was terrible. Um, I've been doing this a little bit lately. Uh, I think I've talked to you about sometimes for some reason... um, Preaching feels different uh, both where we are um, in our lives and then just different circumstances. So I've sort of liked to be down here. I'm not going to call on anybody this morning, but um, if you do have something, don't laugh. I might might pick on you in the front row, but it's kind of like Cirque du Soleil, right? I might pull you out and make you do something. No, I'm not going to. But anyway, I do like the interaction a little bit these days, Uh, more like we're having the discovery together rather than just me talking about everything. Um, I still am in this mode where I think the person who's doing the most talking is probably doing the most learning, uh, actually. So I'd like to make sure that we're engaged together on this. Okay? Deal? Are you with me? Oh, thank you. Wow. Some, there's a Baptist here this morning. Watch out, people. All right, let us pray. <laughs> Gracious and loving God, stir up your holy power this day and come. Send your spirit into our hearts, our minds, our souls, and our ears, that we might hear a word for us today anew and that we too might then live out that which we believe. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so when you heard this story for the first time this morning, did any of this catch you uh, off guard, or does any of it make you uncomfortable at all? There are a number of things in this story that just immediately 
I, I have to pause and stop. I would actually sort of call them barriers. Um, we're in this uh, book of Acts, and we're talking a lot about what I would describe as evangelism. How many people uh, think the world, word evangelism is the greatest word they've ever heard in their life? Yep, that's what I thought. How many, how many uh, think the word evangelism or just being evangelical makes them a little uncomfortable, if you know what that means? Makes you uncomfortable. Um, I, it makes me uncomfortable, too. I'm a little curious about that. Uh, would anybody at least be willing? Why does it make you uncomfortable? I'm curious. It makes me uncomfortable, too. So why does this evangelism idea make us uncomfortable? Just shout it out. You don't have to raise your hand. Yeah, go. You have to go talk to people about it. You sure wouldn't want to talk to anybody, right? Yeah. Others. Feels fake. Fear of rejection. Oh, they might say you're wrong. Yeah, good. It feels like it should be a one-sided conversation. It often is, and it shouldn't be a one-sided conversation. It feels fake. Can you say a little bit more about that, Ray? Uh, who, what? Elmer Gantry. Who is Elmer Gantry? No. Do you know who Elmer Gantry is? Sorry, no, okay. Ah. Oh, he uses people. He makes a lot of money. Oh, interesting. <laughs> Boy, I should try that. <laughs> um, it is in, that is interesting. So he comes to town, he makes a lot of money, so it feels fake. It feels like it's being used for some other purpose, maybe. Uh, some selfish purpose, maybe. Is that right? He was a good speaker, so he was motivational, and it feels sort of over. Yeah. Uh, other reasons that it makes you feel uncomfortable? It's not respectful. Yeah. Say, in, in, in what way is it not respectful? Not respecting the other person's beliefs. Yeah, we get that a little bit in this story too, actually, I think. There's one line in here that jumps out to me that just grabs me and makes me super uncomfortable. It says that you should turn from these worthless things. It's sort of insulting, isn't it? As if what that other faith has been up to, and these people clearly have some sort of faith that we're interacting with here. They know about Zeus and they know about Hermes, so they're Greek at some level, right? Um, it, does, it feels a little insulting, doesn't it? It does to me too. Um, yeah, I, I think one of the other reasons why I, this story sort of cuts me up short is that the early church who had these interactions with the resurrected Jesus are just full of zeal. Do you know what I mean? They can't wait to do this. Uh, they, are, they are getting together as a church at the beginning of this story and they're being sent out and it's like they're just chomping at the bit to go tell people good news. And I think we've all had that experience, Right? If you have some good news to share, we've all felt that energy and excitement about going to tell people, right? About anything. And that's what these people are experiencing. I sort of think of it, it to me, it's a little bit like the gym in January. If, if, anybody goes to, if anybody goes to a gym or you go to work out, in January, for the first like three weeks, it's just packed with people, right? And then on like January 22nd, there's nobody there anymore. Uh, you've all had that experience, right? You get all excited about it, and then you go and do it, and then all of a sudden, by the end of the month, you're like, you know, I just, I, I, 10 more minutes in bed is going to be great. The, the people actually that end up keeping going make it more mundane, and it's less emotional. Isn't that interesting? 
I actually think that you and I sort of live in this more mundane world. Our early Christian followers of Jesus were full of all of this zeal. But what happens is that it becomes a little more mundane over time. And so actually, even though their zeal sort of makes me feel a little guilty, there's something about the mundane that actually roots it in life that becomes more routine and actually becomes lived out longer. Does that make sense? So anyway, so I have all sorts of uh, strange feelings about that evangelical thing. The other thing that I think is maybe a little thing to think about, sort of, that is also a barrier, is that um, there's only two of these people that are sent out, which to me implies that there was a whole church that didn't go. Uh, So this isn't everybody's job, right? The the church actually got together and said, we're going to take these two people and we're going to tell them to go out and be our ambassadors. The rest of them were back at church doing the mundane things, right? Like making coffee and making sure the, you know, it was vacuumed and just coming to church regularly. The vast majority of them, I think, were just doing what we do. And there were a few small number of people that got sent out, right? So that's the other thing I think about. The other one is this. We live, and I think uh, your answer gets to this particularly, we live in a very pluralistic world where we value diversity. And we, and we really value, actually, I would say not diversity, but we value individuality. Uh, you're probably all familiar with this, right? You just do you. You, you do you, right? Uh, that's sort of our current um, cultural morality. You do, you do you. You might even say, somebody might even say, well, I will speak my truth. And I think there's some good things about that, but what about our truth? What about collectiveness about that? Um, there's something about the way, our, the way we talk about the Trinity, actually, yeah, this is, now this is the part where you're going to fall asleep, so okay, listen, I'm, I promise, it'll get more interesting in a second. But the Trinity, there we talk about uh, God in three people, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We might say mother, brother, ever-present spirit. We might say creator, redeemer, sustainer. But God in God's self is relational. I actually think there's some part of the way we think about reality these days when we talk about my own truth or you do you that actually doesn't square with the way the world actually really works. There's something about the way we talk about God as Christians that defines God as being relational in and of itself. And that in that diversity, there is unity. And I think actually these days, that should be the thing that informs our evangelism. How do we talk to people of other faiths? How do we interact with people of other faiths? Um, I think that relationship is actually at the key or at the fundamental level of what reality is made out of. None of us exists onto ourselves. Everybody has a mother. You are relational from the very get-go. And I think in some ways that should inform the way we think about how we interact with each other these days. There's one other thing that I want to say that makes me nervous about evangelism, and nobody else brought this up. And um, I I just have been thinking about this a lot lately in our sort of divisive world, uh, especially as it comes to our Muslim brothers and sisters. I don't know why this text triggered this in me, but you often hear people talk about Muslim extremists And what that's triggered in me is actually thinking about what a Christian extremist might look like. And actually, I think those things, those two words actually don't go together for me. Uh, The Christian extremists, if we were to take it in sort of the terroristic sense, would draw us back into the Crusades. And I don't think anybody wants to go do that again. 
But that's what evangelism started to become to mean, that you would go out and threaten people to convert. That makes me really nervous. I think that's, that we might say in the terroristic sense, that's what Christian extremists would be, but actually I want to say that's not Christianity at all. That's abhorrent Christianity. In the same way that I want to say that Muslim extremists, that doesn't make any sense. That's abhorrent Islam is what that actually is. It's not Islam. It's something else. I don't know how both of these faiths, at the core of who they are, especially with Christianity, I don't know how this happened. How is it that the center of our faith is somebody that submitted to death and we decided that the Crusades were the way to go? That makes no sense to me whatsoever. I can't make that leap. But it's part of our evangelical history and I think it's something that we need to come to terms with. Same with colonialism. That's the other reason why it makes me nervous. Okay? Okay. Good? We're good? Okay, I'm going to move on. The other thing that makes me nervous about this, uh, is there any, anything else that grabbed you about this story that caught your attention or suddenly grabbed you and you were like, I, I'm done. I'm out. Did anybody? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He, allowed, yeah, he allows the other countries to just sort of go their own way without any, which isn't really true. Yeah, you know, one of the things that I talked about with our Bible study with all these pastors on Wednesday is I said, I wonder if it's ever okay to criticize the past church, even the church that we see in the Bible. I think the answer is yes. I think if we're not critical even of our own faith tradition and the thing that we call scripture, we haven't done a very good job. Uh, the other thing that catches me up is the healing. Doesn't this, didn't this catch you up? Right. I've, she said, I've never been witness to somebody who couldn't walk and then all of a sudden the next day leaps up and starts walking again. I would love to witness that, but I just am not been part of that party. I would love, <laughs> that's such a nice way of saying it. I would love to be witness to that, but I've never been part of that party. Yeah, <laughs> me either. I have a good friend uh, who I ski with every year who had a terrible skiing accident this year, smashed into a tree, unconscious, shattered his helmet. Uh, he is uh, just a little bit younger than I am and he can't walk hardly at all. Uh, this is somebody who, and I wish to, to God that we had this sort of ability, right? Yeah, these healings catch me up. Don't they catch you up? Are you with me? Yeah, they catch me up, right? Because it doesn't fit with sort of our worldview. What's strange about this to me is that um, in the ancient Near East, there were all sorts of people who, not all sorts, there were a number of people that we know of, documented in history that had this sort of healing power. And how it works, we don't know. Um, one of the things that I find fascinating about these days is that we still don't even know how the placebo effect works. One of the things that I'd like to at least suggest is that we think we know a lot, but I think we actually don't. There's still a lot of things that are mysterious, even the way about medicine works. And frankly, as much as I would love to be able to walk up to my friend and say, get up and go walk, and he could, it's not going to happen, right? On the other hand, the spirit of healing has been so poured out onto so many different people, our life expectancy is longer, the reality of this person actually maybe walking is certainly greatly enhanced, and the way I think about this is that God's spirit of healing has now sort of sprinkled out further. There are more people doing more healings than there ever was before. How does that grab you as an answer? Are you, is that helpful? Not helpful. What would be a helpful answer? How do you think about this? I don't know. It bothers me too. It still bothers me. How come some people get 
healed of cancer and others don't, even though it's exactly the same and the treatment approach is the same. It's still mysterious at some strange level, right? Um, I don't know that answer. And I actually, so to me, actually, the mystery is still there. I'm trying to, in fact, say that one of the things that makes me more comfortable about thinking of these healing stories is that we're actually better at it collectively than they ever were before individually. Um, so actually, healing takes place more often, even though it seems to us a little less miraculous. It still seems pretty miraculous to me. We just think we're smarter about it. I'm not sure if we are. Does that make sense? Okay. Anyway, it's just a part of the story that grabs me up. All right, here, I want to take one, to close, I want to look at one last sort of part of this uh, story. First of all, I think this story is supposed to be funny. I don't find it all that funny. <laughs> at least in some commentators, they talk about this as, so Paul and Barnabas come to town, and they do a healing, and I think, sort of, what was the guy's name again? Elmer Gantry. Uh, sort of Elmer Gantry style, everybody in town goes, hooray, right? And I think what they want to do is they want to do what? They want to give them a celebration. They want to have a feast for them, right? And they think, oh my gosh, this must be Zeus. This must be Hermes. Hooray, we're going to give them a feast and probably pay them, right? Uh, there is some impulse to do this in humanity, right? Uh, and I, so I think that framework exists. The one thing that I think they do that's really uh, probably helpful is they say, no, we're just regular old people. We're just... We're just people, just like you, right? And they refuse the party and they refuse the money. Christianity is, of course, uh, not supposed to be about um, individual gain. Uh, and the way I think about this is they, <laughs> they say to them, look, we're regular people like you. We're raising kids, we're paying bills, we're struggling with marriages, we're figuring out what to do with aging parents, we're looking out uh, for decent health care, uh, and we're putting up with divisive politics. That's what they're saying. We're in the same mess with you. It's actually, I think, a relational move. And it's a, it's a values move. Uh, in evangelism these days, I think the thing that we should look at each other and do, especially across faiths or even no faith, is to say, we're the same. We're struggling with the same things that you are. The questions that you have are the same questions that we have. The second is, they say, we have good news. And what is the good news? Look at the last part. Of, just pull your bullet out. Look at the last bit of this. Go, they have good news to share. And the thing that I think is interesting about the good news, like look at uh, verses, uh, where are we going to go here? Like 15, 16, um, and 17. The good news is, you know what God is like. God is a creator God that has given you the sun and the moon and the stars and the rains from heaven that produce good fruit in good season. You know what's interesting about this? They don't start with Jesus. Isn't that interesting? That's not where this evangelical move starts. It doesn't start with Jesus. It starts with creation. A relational move from the very beginning. You know what God is like. God is that which gives you good things in the world. Rain and fruit and relationships and families and your breakfast and your lunch and your dinner. And then what's the last one? And God gives you joy in your heart. What's God like? God is like joy in your heart, compassion and kindness and forgiveness and love and relationship. It's interesting to me. They don't start with the Jesus story at all. They start with things that are relationally driven. Actually, I might even say mundane 
things that are everyday experiences that human beings have. One of the reasons why I continue to think the Jesuit examine, something that we have talked about here, where we think about places in our life where we are grateful and then try to savor them, and then we respond with, thanks be to God. I think evangelism, for you and for me, for people who aren't you know, commissioned by the church to go out and stand on the preach corner, evangelism is actually having a thanks be to God sort of orientation to life. And one of the things I think about that is it's infectious whether you want it to be or not. People who are wandering around in the world who are giving thanks for the joy in their heart and saying thanks be to God, you know who they are. You have seen them. And you know what it feels like to be around them. And you don't even have to start with Jesus, which I think makes us often uncomfortable. Instead, I think it simply starts with things that are mundane. Thinking about the rain and the sun and the grass that's growing and the joy in your heart and saying, thanks be to God. You are evangelists because you have felt that joy in your heart. Amen.